Hello, my name is Justin the and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club, and Japanese Month continues. And today we're talking about Masaki Yuasa, director of such films as Mind Game and Lou Over the Wall, and someone that I will take a guess Will had never heard of before. Correct. Yes. And I'm ashamed of that. Well, this is not really something that you go out of your way to watch. And actually, his films didn't get North American distribution till like the late 2010s. So you would have to be involved in like what anime is coming out, what features are coming out. I picked this director because the thing about Japanese animation when it comes to feature films, there's not really that many auteurs. There's some. Makoto Shinke, he directed Your Name. Mamoru Hosoda, he made Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Summer Wars. Hiroki Imashi, who did Dead Leaves and Promare, and I really like that guy. Oh, hey, I know a few. Uh, Satoshi Kon. Yeah, that's right. Hey, have you heard of Hayao Miyazaki? I have, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes I, I know him. And I wanted to get a guy who had like done a lot of feature films, and so we could watch like a bunch of different kind of flavored thing. And most importantly, I wanted someone that we didn't have to watch a anime series. Now, the thing about Masaki is he's directed a lot of anime series, and he's also written and directed and sometimes, in the case of the ping pong animated series, storyboarded every episode. So those are auteur projects. They are also 10 to 25 episodes long. So let's just do feature films is what I told Will. And I thought that there was enough to chew on here that like different flavors and you could get his personality that there would be something to kind of jump off of. Well, I'll probably be really bad on this episode because I did feel like I was kind of diving in headfirst into something I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I will say I really liked these movies. I liked all three. Really exciting territory to explore. And I also think Yuasa is an excellent filmmaker to conclude Japan Month Mm -hmm. on the Important Cinema Club podcast with because, you know, there are certain uh, themes, certain ideas that have been running through the films that we've discussed, the filmmakers we've discussed over the last month, you know, whether it's a uh, repressed sexuality or the malaise of modernity. Uh, I mean, in films by Ozu and Nerusa, you know, you see a post-war Japan that is facing the encroachment of Western values and aesthetics onto a very traditional Eastern society. And now here's this filmmaker where all of time and space collapses Mm -hmm. where Western and Eastern influences come together into this great big soup where the past and present live side by side. I was looking up some interviews with him and I have a quote that he did when his uh, recent film Inuo came out. He was asked about his influences and he said, I was inspired by many different things. Hip hop and shuffle dance, gymnastic moves, ballet, MC Hammer, Jackie Chan, Carl Lewis's jump, I tried to incorporate the history of anything that existed until now. Even Singing in the Rain was an influence. I mean, if you look at even his Wikipedia page, it's like some of his favorite animations include Wicked City, Galaxy Express 999, Pinocchio, Fantastic Planet, Sing, the 2016 animated CGI thing where all the animals sing. As well as uh, Anne of Green Gables. (laughs) That was huge in Japan. Anne of Green Gables. Outside of animation, Yuasa was also influenced by the art of Salvador Dali. It's like, yeah, everything. Obviously, yeah. His career, like, it's nice that it's, like, very well documented on Wikipedia. And if you look at, like, interviews, he also had a career that's fairly kind of conventional in the sense that he didn't arrive fully formed. I have the short animation, make it feature, then I moved to feature lengths. It was like, he slaved away. He went to school. He studied oil painting. And then he ended up just working as an in-betweener. For people that don't know, when you do animation, 
anytime. Basically, uh, someone who does keyframes when you do like storyboards and stuff like that of the poses that the characters take. Inbetweeners is the shitty job of drawing all the frames of animation between those keyframes. So you don't have that much creativity. I mean, it's still creative, but it's also known as kind of like grunt work. So he worked in the 90s on a lot of popular mainstream animated shows, most notably Chibi Maruku-chan, which was a big hit at the time. By the end of the 90s, though, his independent short films had established him as something of an innovator. Some of them include Noiseman, Sound Insect, and others called Cat Soup. Mind Game from 2004 was the big breakthrough, though. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a movie that, like, really kind of announces the vision, which is, um, for want of a better phrase, everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. I mean, when I saw this movie in the early 2000s, I was like, whoa, I haven't seen animation like this so sprawling and so imaginative and not going in any kind of expected direction. And this is typically the kind of movie that I admire more than I like mm-hmm. because it's like, it's one of those things where like, if everything's awesome, nothing is awesome. Mm-hmm. That said, I really enjoyed this movie because there's always something really cool to look at. I would say though that what it does, especially on rewatches, is it does slow down a lot in the middle. And I think it's a very conscious effort where, you know, this is a manga adaptation. He was approached by Studio 4C, which is a big famous animation studio. I'm going to say some animation studio. Will will look blankly at me. Everybody <laughs> listening will be like, oh yeah, I know those people because even I recognize these kind of production companies. They all have their particular style and Yuasa just jumped in between all of them. And so like, Mind Game, it's interesting to see this film and then see the films that we're going to talk about a bit later on because he is adapting his style to kind of fit whatever the material that he's doing, whether it be original, like a lot of his series, or it be this, which is based on a manga. So like the kind of sketchy style that he described as, you know, we want audiences to think that like not too much work went into it, that it almost like slapdash, even though a lot of work went into it. And the way that in Mind Game, he also tries to utilize like um, live action pasted over the faces when there's a moment of like really strong emotion and these are that's just one of the animation styles that this Mm -hmm. employs i mean you know sometimes it's very uh state-of-the-art 3d other times it looks almost like pencil drawings among the many influences or at least the people he's been compared to have been tex avery and the fleischer brothers and bob clampett you know Mm -hmm. those old hollywood animators where everything was always in motion and faces would become you know when there was an emotion on screen the faces and bodies would control tort to that emotion. Yeah, see, the thing with computer animation, which Yuasa has been using, I think basically since his feature film career started, is that there's often a stiffness to it because you can always keep characters on model when you're animating in computers. So if you watch something like Cuphead on Netflix, which is trying to imitate that Fleischer style, it doesn't work for me because it feels weirdly stiff. It feels wrong. And Yuasa somehow finds the tools and the style to go beyond that. Like you don't watch his films and go, oh, it's got that computer feel to it. Yeah, it's true. And I'm curious what you think about this. Like these, I I remained engrossed and involved in Mm. these movies throughout, even though like, you know, a movie like, I don't know, Heavy Metal, where it's like an anthology film where a bunch of different animation studios work on it. This has the same, a similar sort of effect Mm. of that, even though it was just like, one guy directing all of these different segments. It feels kind of like an anthology film that a bunch of people worked on. And yet there's this, I don't know, coherent through line. Something carries me through. I I ride the wave of this movie throughout. Literally and figuratively when we're talking about mind games. Right. And and I'm curious why you think that's the case. I think that Yuasa just has a grasp on the 
emotion of his characters. Like, so the plot of Mind Game is there's this doofus guy who meets a crush that he had back in his school days, a very uh, big-bosomed woman, <laughs> the way that you would describe her, and through a bad situation involving Yakuza, I mean, just describing the plot well, of Mind Game, I'm gets, like, he um, dies and he goes to heaven and he meets God. And he, he doesn't die in just any old way. He gets shot up the ass. Yes, he does. But yes, he goes to... He goes to I don't know if it's heaven or it's purgatory or mm-hmm. something, but then he comes back. There's a big chase mm-hmm. and they all end up in the belly of a whale. Yes. And then they spend the rest of the movie in the, the, the belly of the whale. And like what happens in the belly of the whale, like everything and nothing. Mm-hmm. And just, just it's this nonstop like sensory overload. Well, I think like mind game, the title is also about, especially when you get to the end of the movie, what they're telling you is like, these are possibilities. Like there's a montage in the movie where you realize like, Oh, this is not like a flash forward or even a flashback. This is like an, anything could happen if you go down these paths. And like thematically, I feel like these movies are kind of, again, everything and nothing in the sense that like in terms of analyzing them, what they're saying is sort of like right there. It's on the surface. Mm -hmm. And this is not to like downplay what they're saying. The form is what is the message of the movie, you know? Well, like Mind Game, it's literally like a character goes, oh, I just want to be part of life, whether it's good or bad. I just want to be able to do things. And then to do that, you have to literally run up a wave for 10 minutes. Right. And like, I don't I don't sense a great deal of subtext, which is not me like denigrating the movie something like mind game when you look at especially near the ending when you're being offered all of these different possibilities i think you bring your own baggage to it like oh do i see myself in this all these different possibilities and i also think that like if it is you see it like it on the surface like you kind of understand what it's trying to say it's also just like the visual mastery that he's bringing on the screen that if it contextually kind of hang on all the entire way like by the end of mind game i'm like Woo! Yeah, I'm into what is happening, no matter how silly the kind of like summary may be. And there's there's a lot of feeling, you yeah. know. Like, I mean, that's all that his animation has. There's no ironic distance from mm. any of this. And I think that's important. And I think that when you compare him to all of those wild, different inspirations, if he does all of these, and it's not just a kind of look, I know these things, but his interpretation and also doing them in an emotionally honest manner. I think that's more than you get from American animation, which most of the time, I mean, Pixar, you know, they're emotionally honest, but as we go deeper into them, they're also just shameless corporate product. Right. And they also like really hit very expected beats. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the Pixar movies, the later ones are like beautiful. Oh yeah. I mean, they're at the top of their field when it comes to technology. But they don't feel like anything can happen in them. Yeah. And they're also stylistically kind of straight jacketed. Like they all look the same and they'd have a house style and they're going with that style. And there's something kind of liberating about these movies Mm -hmm. where they can go in any direction and you just have to let the, let the movie work on you. You have to let it wash over you. And so mind game was a critical success, especially internationally. I know it won some awards when it played in North America, but I got the sense that like, it wasn't that big a hit in Japan, but Yuasa was able to continue kind of like directing series. Like he directed uh, a show called Ken Monozume in 2006 that he wrote, directed, <laughs> and was the creator of. He also did a show called Keiba and the Tatami Galaxy. He also met a key collaborator that I saw in all the writing, you know, post Mind Game, was someone called Unyong Choi, who was a South Korean artist. And she became his key collaborator on like all of his projects, even co founding the company that they made, Science Saru, which translates to Science Monkey, which was kind of their production company to do their projects 
projects. And it's wild to hear that he directed all of these series. And then when he started this company, they like ran it out of a house and only had like a handful of employees. How, how similar are the series to the films? Stylistically, they're like oftentimes jumping off of what they're adapting. I, I can say I haven't seen like Kim and Ozume. The Tatami Galaxy is an adaptation of the same novel that uh, The Night is Short, Walk On Girl, the same author in the same universe as well. So it's like a very particular style, like those white faces. But then Ping Pong looks like the art of the artist that did the manga. So like he's very flexible as a filmmaker of changing his style, but also still keeping that elasticity that, you know, makes it what it is. He's a hard filmmaker to talk about, I think, just because, you know, when you talk about Sorry to cite the most famous example, but Miyazaki. You mm-hmm. kind of know what a Miyazaki film looks, looks like. like. Yeah, absolutely. You know the you know the sort of consistent feeling that they evoke. Whereas these, yeah, you can't pin them down to any one style. You can't even really pin them down to any one any couple of themes, except that they are everything. Yeah, like I think that thematically his obsessions are like music. All of his films are about that. They all have a musical number. Also a kind of humanism and optimism. Like even Mind Game, the original manga, not everybody made it out of that whale at the end. And he thought it was important that it had to be kind of like a global, we can all do this together message. And I mean, he's also clearly obsessed with sort of like cultural Mm cross-pollination and with, I mean, I'm just thinking in the later film, Una O, where, you know, it's about this practitioner of ancient Japanese no theater who is also like a rock star and you know he's like shredding mm-hmm. on on his lute you know yeah. do, doing a 30 minute rock opera like that's the kind of headspace that he likes to live in where there are no distinctions between time and space and high and low and all that yeah and I also think it is some kind of like maximalism to his style specifically in the other film I told Will to watch the nice short walk on girl where this is a movie that like it doesn't even start with like opening credits like you're in all right, let's go. Okay, okay. So this one again, I like this one too. Although, <laughs> man, my my head is spinning after watching all three of these in short succession. <laughs> like, I'm forgetting which one is in which movie. But this one, okay, like like Mind Game. This one, Night is Short, Walk on Girl, is about this college boy who's hopefully hopelessly mm. in unrequited love with this girl. He's a senior. She's a junior. Uh, they end up at this book convention. Well, I mean, to go even further back, it the whole film takes place over one night. But like a million things happen over that one night. Like, I think the inciting incident is that the young woman wants to get drunk. Is her mission to feel more like an adult? Yes. Which is the motivating factor as she wanders through the night. Oh, and there are perverts everywhere. Oh, everywhere there's perverts. I mean, listen, Japan months taught us anything other than that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> based on all the entertainment that we watch, or are we the perverts? Because this is what we decided to watch. All I know, all I know, is that there were some listeners who did not care for us talking about Lolita vibrator torture <laughs> on the last episode. I mean, a lot of them watched it after <laughs> yeah. we talked about yeah. it. And so, the nice short walk on girl has a completely different style than Mind Game, where all the characters are much rounder, and the world itself is extremely stylized in, I would say, almost like a Fleischer style. Like, feels like the buildings could be like bounce and move as characters walk through well and in some cases like the buildings themselves have emotions Mm -hmm. the building the buildings themselves feel and express so the film starts like super stylish with like cutaways to like abstract 
colored kind of illustrations of what characters are talking about. And as the movie goes on, we meet supernatural characters, other characters who have gigantic control units that are that know everything. The reality of this film is very tenuous and elastic, which is like most of his films, except maybe the last one that we watched. And, you know, The Night of Short Walk On Girl is that at the extreme version. Well, the the last one, Inu O, oh, I mean, it's strange to say that of the three movies, this is the one that feels the most grounded. <laughs> Absolutely. Because again, it is about an ancient traveling no musician. Yes, who, who, who is has a gigantic arm and has a uh, disfigured face. And is a rock star. Yeah, uh, yeah sorry, there's the he has this uh, partner, this dancer who, yeah, wears a mask the whole time because he has this monstrous face that no mm-hmm. one can see. But I mean, the style of it, the, the there's there a few more things to like hang your hat on i Mm. guess and now this is again an adapted work and i mean i don't know why he adapted this specific one the theme of music and stuff like that continued through it it is a little weird though like it feels like an attempt of him going all right i want to do something more grounded in the sense that like not anything can happen but then like 40 minutes in he's like ah let's just do a 30 minute uh, musical number right well this does seem to be the one that has been the closest to an international breakthrough for him like he actually did have an international breakthrough like his films were being released by g kids in uh north america and then he was kind of like the creative showrunner on an adaptation of devil man which is a very famous gonagai manga love it and it's been adapted a bunch of times and he finally did his own version Devilman Crybaby and that was on Netflix so suddenly he had a reach that like none of his other features or even series had had before with a property that like even like the non you know anime or manga obsessed people you say Devilman they're like oh yeah I've seen that somewhere and so Inuo is that kind of, again, more grounded. The characters have more classical anime style looks only so he can break it when he gets to do those musical numbers, which he still attempts to ground in some kind of reality where like when the dancers and the singers do their thing that you have kind of like, they created these shows. It doesn't always go just to pure fantasy. It does at the end. He can't help himself. He has to go there. But, you know, for most of the time, it's interesting to see him try to give himself these limitations. You saw some of his other films as well? I did. I saw Lou Over the Wall from uh, 2017. And this was supposed to be his feature following Mind Game. And he actually was in production with Lou Over the Wall and The Night is Short Walk On Girl. Not simultaneously, but like one after the other to the point that both of them were released in 2017 (laughs) at the same time. Lou Over the Wall is interesting because I would say it's his most kind of like Fleischer-esque one because... The main gimmick is the main character who likes to make music. He meets a little baby mermaid who she likes to sing and dance. And when she sings and dance, she gains legs and can make everybody else sing and dance around her. And when they dance, they get like those round Fleischer faces and they do all their things. Lou over the wall was also his experimentation of like, oh, it feels like this may be the last one that I get uh, get to make because, you know, I may be just trapped in Sears. So there's everything. There's like a big kaiju sequence where like a big killer whale thing rips down a wall. And it's all about positivity, ends on a big musical number and of course like almost all of his movie a big wave just water covering everything i wish you know i I thought about 
taking notes of just all the amazing sites mm-hmm. to try to describe them, but it becomes an exercise of futility. To oh, and point. then this happens, and then this happens, and then this the, 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 movie, the movies are just a continuing succession of incredible images. Even even the more like mundane scenes just mm-hmm. have like just the way the characters move, yeah, the way their faces contort. Like, in lieu over the wall, when the movie starts, you just see like three human characters meet, and the way that they kind of like like they just bend his arms, and one of the characters just kind of moves around. It gives a life to it that you don't even see in stuff like mocapped, where it feels wrong, but because. Yuasa is just speaking the language of animation that he is so like firmly entrenched in it and can just do it as best as it can. Like all these images, the way they play on screen is just fantastic. I also watched one uh, Ride Your Wave from 2019 and this felt him. Ride Your Wave. Yes. Okay. He loves wave, folks. He loves waves. And this one was, there was a very popular film. I don't know if you ever heard about it, uh, Will, called Your Name. I have heard of it, yes. And this was like, you know, uh, star-crossed kind of lovers thing. Massive hit. And it felt like, hey, can you guys make a, you know, films that kind of feel like Your Name? So out of all the films I watched, this was the one that was the most kind of like grounded. It's all about loss, kind of like Ghost meets Ponyo. A little too close to Lou over the wall like you almost feel that like he got some assets you can reuse on this movie we need to pump something out you mentioned that mind game wasn't all that popular in Japan mm-hmm. like has his standing increased in Japan oh or- absolutely I mean just based on the series that he made he's made so he said that he actually wants to step down from directing for a while and I think it's maybe because he's been very overworked like you look at the amount of features that he made two and uh, 2017. In 2018, he is the showrunner on a TV show. In 2019, he releases another film. In 2020, he releases a whole series, the poorly timed Japan Sinks 2020. <laughs> and then in 2021, he has another feature. So he's basically had like a major animated project every year. And that's not counting the ones he directed on the side here or there. All of them dense and stuffed. And if you're a particular age, you've probably seen his stuff, even if you are not familiar with his name or the projects that we mentioned because he and his production company directed an episode of Adventure Time in 2014 called Food Chain. So like his style is perfect for Adventure Time. And the one that he did is just as wacky as all the other stuff that he's done as well. It's banal to say, but it's delightful uh, the way that this like cultural cross-pollination keeps working. He takes a lot from the West and the West (laughs) takes a lot from him. Yeah, that's right. I mean, hopefully he was paid for his work on Adventure Time. (laughs) I'm sure he probably was. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I, I remember though in 2013, like he had to crowdfund a short that he was making called Kick Heart that was like 13 minutes long. 2013. Yeah, 2013. So that's why I was like, I guess he's never going to make a feature that he has to like crowdfund to get something done. But it almost feels like he just needs to keep making. Like he can't stop himself. So maybe that was just like, no one's going to give me money for this like short. Like where where is the short going to play? But I want to get the company Production IG, which is like one of the big animation companies to work on it. So they raised something like $200,000 and they were able to make it on that, which even that budget, that's very low for animation. Well, this probably sounds as dense and overwhelming as the film's themselves so if you had one movie to recommend as the entry point what would you say probably say mind game because that's like his first one it is very dense and wild but i think that like after you've ridden that roller coaster if you can connect with that then you know you can ride anything else that he does uh, maybe lou over the wall because that's like also the most cartoon like cartoonish one and the music is a way to get into it as well feels a little bit more kid-centric but i i kind of love this real goofy style i tried to watch devil man crybaby on netflix 
it's really violent and like gross <laughs> to the point that even me, I was like, eh, okay, I'll, I'll get back to it. It's a little much when I'm trying to like streamline 10 episodes at once. Well, uh, don't forget your special brownies, folks. <laughs> That's right. Oh man, what were they smoking when they made this stuff? <laughs> uh, I'm curious to know though that like maybe someone who could speak better to the, like the world of Japanese animation. I was looking at like, oh, what Japanese feature films were made that were released like theatrically or even OVAs. There's not that much that are not properties. Like there's like one piece and other animation thing but like people making original feature films like he is no one is doing that so like he is one of a kind just because of that that he's capable of continuing to just directing and be an actual animation auteur which is almost impossible in this day and age so as per usual you can send us letters at important cinema club podcast at gmail.com and our first letter is from John Taflin. He goes, hey, fellas, thanks, as always, for the wonderful show, except that Hot to Trot Patreon, P.U. What? You didn't <laughs> like the Hot to Trot Patreon episode? I think that he meant the actual movie itself. Oh, okay. That episode, hilarious. I, I thought mean, it was great. Yeah. Will will be haunted forever thinking that a mule is a horse. Awful. <laughs> And the letter continues, I was wondering if you two had movie theaters or festivals you aspire to visit someday. After hearing you speak so effusively about the Albion, I have to make my way there next time I'm in Toronto. Same with the Nitrate Film Festival in Rochester, New York. I live in Chicago, and we have what I consider a number of destination theaters for cinephiles, including Music Box and Facets, where you can see a wide array of rep and obscure foreign releases on tiny little screens. <laughs> I'd personally love to see a film at the Kino International in Berlin or spend a week at the Mexico City Film Festival. How about you? Thanks again. John Taflin. Oh, well, the Albion Cinema, which he mentioned, by the way, is located in North Etobicoke, a suburb of Toronto, mm -hmm. and it is the greatest Indian movie theater in the immediate vicinity, at least. If, if you have access to it, you should check it out. Places that I aspire to visit... You know, I haven't been to L.A. since I was a kid, so when I go at some point, I'd love to see the new Beverly, obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of, that's the first one that comes to mind, kind of a mecca. I think that, like, sitting there in the new Beverly, the programming is amazing. Also, the sightline is very low. That, like, when you're sitting, if someone sits in front of you, you can't see the screen. So what movie did you see? Did you see City Slickers? No. City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold. I saw... It was a Brian De Palma film, Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Very yes. nice. Yeah, and they played a themed Looney Tunes short beforehand that was clearly picked to play before Dress to Kill. Loved it. Oh, fantastic. And anyway, aside from that, I mean, when I was a teenager, I used to fantasize about going to the Cannes Film Festival. And what I don't, a miserable experience that sounds I like. I mean, it probably is. I don't really fantasize about that anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless somebody was like footing the bill for me and like... And you got you tickets to everything. And I got to be on the jury. Yeah. Then maybe it'd be fun. And then you could write an editorial where you're like, Khan isn't what it used to be. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, why would, you, why would you cross an ocean and spend two weeks in an Airbnb <sighs> so that you can watch like... I don't know, whatever, some... some The new Nicholas Winding Refn movie yeah, that's going right. to come out on Netflix in like a week. Right, exactly. I'm, I'm trying to find the name, and I read about this in CinemaScope, that, and Jonathan Rosenbaum has talked about it, that it's like the Bologna Film Festival, where it's like all about retrospectives and remasters of film, and it's like two weeks long. Oh, I bet I'd enjoy that. Yeah. I mean, hey, I'd love to see a movie in Bombay. In Hong Kong, do they still do the Midnight Show? Probably not, right? No, I don't think so. But I'm, you know what? I don't know. Maybe they do. <laughs> Let's be honest, not that many hong kong films coming out lately that's true have you noticed that every new hong kong produced like for hong kong audience film has like broken the box offices of like oh this is the biggest film ever it's like
like they're very hungry for, you know, local movies. It's almost as if, you know, some governing body won't let them release them. Well, it's a high risk, high reward proposition to make a movie only for the Hong Kong mm-hmm. market because it's a small market. Yeah. Well, when I say that, I just mean in Cantonese. Right. Basically. In Cantonese. And yeah. it's not like a big Mandarin production. For me, I'm not really interested in any of the like new like, oh, you get to go to Sundance. Like, do I, though? Like, here's the thing. We have friends that go to these film festivals and they don't come back being like, what a time. They're like, what a bunch of trash I saw. You know, I'm lucky. I've been to most of the places I want to go to. We went to the Mahoning Drive-In. Yep. Which is oh, maybe we'll be back this summer too. Heaven on Earth. Yes. Uh, you mentioned the Nitrate Picture Show. It's oh, wonderful. Oh yeah, Nitrate Picture Show is amazing. Fantastic. In one weekend too, you get all these movies in, then you're done. At the George Eastman House, which is just a beautiful place to be. Mm-hmm. You've been to like the Metrograph, right? Have no, I don't think I've been to the yeah. Metrograph. No. You've been to Anthology. Yes, I have been to Anthology yeah. a number of times to see a Grady Hendrix's Hong Kong movie marathon, which I've been hoping would come back this year. Although he seems to be busy, maybe. Yeah, there was one last year, right? That happened, and that's the one me and Peter went to. But the next one that he does, I think it's also about like the print person needs to find new prints that they can show. Yeah, you know, they're all on film, and that gets tough after a while. To like, what is surprising, and what can I get out there? I mean, we'd be happy with anything. So, but anyway, if you want to fly me out to your theater, I'm happy oh, we'd to be do happy it. to go yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Is there any big ones i mean we didn't mention that many but like people let us know like are there like a giant movie house like around the corner from you that we should visit yeah tell tell us what are the greatest uh movie houses around the world that we should go to i've been to the cinematheque francais have i ever told you that yeah didn't you do it when you were in germany no, no. I, I went when i was i i went to paris like when i was in my early 20s believe it or not <laughs> okay for Sorry. a week i'm just smiling because you know what i'm thinking of let me tell you about the time oh, John, you think i'm Ros- jonathan rosenbaum yeah <laughs> Well, I only spent a week there. He spent uh, uh, probably couple, two, two, years? two very formative years. Yes. But no, you know what I saw at the Cinema Check Francais? I saw... Breathless? Even better. I saw Otto Preminger's The Human Factor. <laughs> uh, that is the ultimate uh, Cinémathèque Française uh, movie. Yeah, a late period. In fact, I think his last film, the last Preminger film, I, yeah, I couldn't have been happier. I mean, I look at stuff like the Cinémathèque Française does, and I just like sigh with like, uh, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they did a complete Jess Franco retrospective, oh, and Jess Franco was there. I would love with that. With Lena Romay. But you know what? There are people in remote parts who wish they could go to the light box. Mm-hmm. And we can do that if <laughs> yeah. we want. And I go and I'm like, ugh, uh, it's a little far for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be in Cinema 3, the little cinema. I just said, <laughs> four. listen, listen, if anyone from TIFF is listening, I just want you to know I will introduce a movie for you. We will introduce anything. At any time. Wow, well, we may be introducing something somewhere else in Toronto in April. That's a little hint of uh, something that everyone needs to make the trek down to Toronto just for that when it gets announced. Anyway, yeah, let us know. Jump on the Discord. And what are the, like, not just us, but, like, people in the world you need to experience this thing? Especially if you run a film festival that does something, like, wild and wacky or retrospectives. So thank you very much for that letter. And the next question is from Ashley. And they go, Dear Justin and Will, first off, I just want to thank you for both expanding my cinematic horizons. I started listening to ICC a year ago, and you all were a gateway drug to the filmmakers like Albert Pune, Ray Dennis Steckler, and the wonderful world of Motern. I really appreciate your spirit of curiosity and your, and your disinterest in high lowbrow distinctions when it comes to art. Second, I was wondering if you all thought about doing a Santo episode. I've fallen down a lucha-shaped rabbit hole ever since you screened one of his films in your Twitch stream. I believe that was a 24-hour summer movie mind melter? Maybe a horror one that I played a Santo versus the monsters and would love to find out more about the man in the silver mask. Also, 
would absolutely love it if you guys tackled Ken Russell at some point. Oh, do you like Ken Russell, Will? I like Ken Russell, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, we'll have to talk about that. I've yeah. read his biography. It's yeah. Wild. Yeah, I, I I would be interested in Ken Russell for sure. And I'd be interested in doing Santo as well. I mean, oh, well, I, I, I think I, uh ring ring ring, what's that? It's Shocktober coming down the pike. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Santo in Shocktober. Even though technically he's not a horror guy, but he fought the mummies, he fought the monsters, he's fighting the infernal brain. The thing about Santo is, like, there's no one movie to be like, well, that is the great one you should watch. You have to like buffer people before they watch one. Like, it's gonna be slow, even though it's about wrestling. I mean, I'm ashamed to say the only santo film i've seen was on the most recent season of mystery science theater and you know i was watching it and i was thinking i wish these guys would shut up i'm enjoying this movie (laughs) and finally if will could be cloned so he could be on both sides who would win in a no holds barred street fight between the important cinema club or michael and us oh we would all hold hands and just have a have a nice time together also i fight dirty Well, there's your answer, folks. Yeah, uh, Will would team up with the other Will and take me and Luke out so he could just have his own podcast empire. <laughs> I coll- collect both Patreons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's Michael and us starring Will Sloan and Will Sloan. <laughs> well, thank you very much. For How come you're not asking uh, which of Justin's podcasts would, would win? <laughs> I mean, like, like let's let's get Mark and let's get April and Colin and let's get me. And Ooh, that's tough. Let's fucking <laughs> let's, let's, get, let's, let's go down. Yeah. So I just watch, though, as you guys fight it out. Yeah. There can only be one champion. Yeah. I feel like Mark Hansen would be like the dark card where, you know, he's a cool guy, but then he like pull a knife or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe April. Oh, I don't know. Well, we're just gonna have to organize it. Listen, we get to this Patreon level. It's like every podcast that Justin has a part in. Have to we fight. all have to fight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to the death. And so Ken Russell, we're definitely gonna do him one day. It's not, it's weird that like, I like him, but he's never been one that's like, let's do Ken Russell. Even I, though. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Maybe it's just because like his movies feel like a lot. <laughs> no. It feels like a lot to watch three of those or four of Were those. Were you there when Ken Russell did the crustiest Q&A in the world? Yes, I was. This is one of the greatest events in Toronto film history. Well, first of all, I was there at Fan Expo like the day before mm-hmm. and he was just at a booth. He was? He wasn't one of the main celebrity guests. He was just at whatever, what, was it Rue Morgue who was hosting it? Rue so Morgue, yeah. I'm walking down an aisle and I look over and here's this man who looks like that photo of Winston Churchill. Yes. Like frightening. Mm-hmm. And it's Ken Russell. So I, I'll never forget that image. But then, yeah, the next day they played the uncut version of The Devils, mm-hmm. which has, I think, never happened before or since at the Bloor Cinema and Richard Krauss interviewed him on stage. Yeah, Richard Krauss did a, wrote a book on the devil. That's right. It was an amazing Q&A. He like, did not want to be there. He did not seem, but I I understand that it was one of the better Q&As he's given. Really? Yes. Well, because... At that point you want to be like, no Q&As, Ken Russell. <laughs> like, he, well, he didn't seem all there. No, he well, didn't. And like his wife would try to remind him of stuff and he'd be like, shut up! <laughs> but I, I remember I remember there was one point when Richard Krauss said, so who are some of your favorite filmmakers? And he goes, Ken Russell! <laughs> yeah. And then Krauss said, "Well, well, I understand that um, uh, you've you've called you've called yourself the uh, British Fellini, isn't? Uh, do you like Fellini?" And Ken Russell goes, yes, "Fellini, he's an adequate replacement." <laughs> so good, <laughs> so good. Uh, so yeah, Ken Russell, and we'll tell that story again. Yeah, <laughs> you know, why not? It up. <laughs> As per usual, you can send us letters at Podcast at gmail.com. This week on our Patreon, the people want it, Will. We got to talk about well, it. Well, Warren Beatty has a new movie out. That's right. It's called Dick Tracy Special, Tracy Zooms In. <laughs> We're talking about Warren Beatty's latest effort to retain the film and TV rights to the character of Dick Tracy. I loved it. A co-starring Ben Mankiewicz and, important cinema club favorite, 
Leonard Maltin. <laughs> so check that out. Also, by the way, uh, just Golden Ninja Video, uh, we've got some new Blu-rays that are nearing completion. Did we not talk about White Zombie and King of the Bullwhip? Well, if we haven't, I just want to say that we just recorded our commentary mm-hmm. for King of the Bullwhip. Great Western with Lash LaRue. Oh, great time. We also did a like 25-minute video on the director of King of the Bullwhip, Ron Ormond. So I think those are going to start shipping very soon. Mm-hmm. So get, get beautiful two, 2K scans of these. And I'll say, hey, for a limited time, the White Zombie Blu-rays are going to be two discs. One of the discs will be in a paper sleeve, kind of tucked in, because Phantom Ship, you get an HD version of Phantom Ship on, on another disc. And saying it now, I haven't said this anywhere, it will have the Bella Lugosi featurette we did on uh, Bella Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. Excellent. So everybody who missed out on that, that featurette is not anywhere. I don't think I ever posted it online. So you can get it on the white zombie set. So do it now before I'm like, this is too much. I can't do two discs for all of these. And it just becomes one disc. You got goldninjavideo.com. Yep. Check it out. And I mean, if you guys didn't see a gold ninja video on Twitter, we got something not for a while, I will say, but it's going to be good. It's going to be good. (laughs) It's like the ultimate. It feels like important cinema club release that it's crazy that, we would be able to do something like that. Anyway, check out uh, twitter.com, Gold Ninja Video to find, you know, maybe a little video of what that thing is. So next week, what are we doing, Will? Well, Japan month is over. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to talk about Chuck Norris. <laughs> Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris, folks. Here's a guy that was very present, I think, when we were younger. You know, like um, movies. Um, guys, Chuck Norris doesn't have a chin behind his beard. He has another <sighs> fist. Oh, God. Yep. Well, those books of those jokes are now haunting all the youth bookstores until the end of time. Anyway, Chuck Norris, I don't think either of us are huge fans. But, no. But I, I'm I, fascinated I, I've by got him. a craving for him this week. I do enjoy the fact that he was a real martial artist. That they were like, well, you're a movie star now. And he won all these awards. And he's like, yeah, I guess I'm a movie star. I mean, he was such a martial artist that no less than Bruce Lee said, Mm -hmm. come fight me in a movie. Yep. And they're like, Bruce Lee's like, I just need someone that's the least charismatic, skilled martial artist (laughs) I know. And he made a career out of it. And Chuck Norris, I think what's fascinating is he had a few DTV films in the 2000s, but he never had that kind of like... Uh, JCVD or even Seagal kind of like hold of continuing to make stuff. He seemed to be content to yell his right wing opinions when asked and just not doing anything else. So we're going to explore him, see, uh, try to define whatever charisma it was that he had. (laughs) It is none. It is uh, maybe the world was hungry for it. So something to look forward to. Yep. We're probably going to talk about Lone Wolf McQuaid. I mean... Maybe. I mean, maybe we'll want to watch it. Slaughter in San Francisco. Let's do it. Low way movie. I feel like he's barely in, even though he's on the cover. It's going to be bad, but I want to watch it. <laughs> yep. And uh, something else. Yeah. yeah. So until then, my name's Justin the Glue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. Do you like comic books? Are you curious about comic books and don't know where to start? If you're either or, then you need to check out the Very Fine Comic Book Podcast, a new podcast co-hosted by me and my good pal Mike Wood, where we go through a new book that's easy and accessible for anyone that's interested and just talk about it for an hour. Kind of like the Important Cinema Club, but about comic books. On our first episode, we go through the very important to me run of Spider-Man written by Stanley and more importantly, illustrated by Steve Ditko. And in the second episode, which is now currently available, we talk about Jack 
Kirby's OMAC. Jack Kirby, the king of comics, doing one of his weirdest projects and is especially important to Mike Wood. So I hope you'll check it out at anchor.fm slash the very fine comic book cast or wherever podcasts can be found. And as per usual, I'd like to thank some of the new patrons for the Important Cinema Club podcast. Sebastien Lapre, Noah Lenderman Grice, Christian L. Brendel, Riley Pelling, Austin T. George, Donovan Luz, Jack Weber, Connor White, Kale Farnes, Jackson Blacker, Per Hasselstrom, Mason Colborn, W. Buttry, Craig Lewis, and Nick Emmons. Thank you very much for becoming patrons. We could not do it without you! It's time for the Streaming Report with Justin and Will, where we give you all the news on streaming uh, business things, I guess. Cool. What's uh, what's new on streaming? Oh, so uh, Disney lost... Oh, they lost a lot of subscribers. I think they lost 2.5 million subscribers or something like that. Wow. So what does that mean? Uh, they cut thousands of jobs and they said that they're going to reevaluate what they will do in the future aka Toy Story 5 is what they say they're going to make what's fascinating about this is that like this is the death knell of like these streaming things going like we can't keep going well as I understand it we've said it before we'll say it again the whole business model of these streamers is impossible (laughs) it's they have to keep adding subscribers every month like these big streamers like Netflix and Disney Plus typically post enormous losses year after year Mm. like losses in the billions <laughs> but but the share price keeps going up because there's the the momentum of more and more subscribers and so the illusion that at some point they will make money mm-hmm. but they but they, they never will it's well, impossible well it seems like a difficult business model but, because like if everybody in the world has the subscription mm-hmm. and and they won't well i mean good thing netflix is cracking down on password sharing right Will? oh yeah well that nickel and diming bullshit <laughs> well this these are the like tremors before the earthquake happens i just saw recently people were sharing this online that in the new issue of cosmopolitan there's a whole article about the kind of revitalization of DVD and physical media. <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. What 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 do you what do you see? Like No, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think that people will just accept what is given to them, but there will also be a frustration with it of the limitation of those things cuz like cable is, was not good, but people accepted it cuz that's all that was fed to them. Well, like DVD and Blu-ray have become, you know, like vinyl. It's mm-hmm. a it's a niche. It's a collector's market. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that what's fascinating about like these streaming services is that the individual can decide I don't want this with cable you're trapped in that package that like you get these channels you know people will watch them that uh, a million year old Nielsen rating system which is still the one that they keep track of but now if you like delete your account and be like I don't want this like it tracks and they have I'm surprised they released they lost subscribers like that feels like something you would just keep close to the vest you wouldn't tell anybody well maybe they have to maybe they're maybe they're obliged to release those numbers (laughs) I I don't know I'm not Mr. Businessman Mm. over here but I'm just guessing it's a double-edged sword thing where like to gain subscribers or sorry to 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 increase your share price you have to release how many like yeah. it's part of the deal it's yeah, like yeah. it's like they either went up mm-hmm. or they went, went down and you and you can't just keep saying they went up and yeah. then one month say oh we're not releasing them this month <laughs> I, right I, I would say I that know. the disney execs would just be like can't we just lie it's like yeah i like lying why, why not who who will 
trying to trick us. I do wonder, like, when Netflix releases those, like, well, a billion was, hours of a billion minutes or seconds, like they give them. Which, which, by the way, like, I do not understand those statistics. If a movie makes twenty million dollars in a weekend, I, I understand a that. a person paid a price for a ticket. I can in my head do okay, twenty million divided by this. But equals. all of these companies are publicly traded, so you don't have to understand. It's just some dumb dumb who has a bunch of shares. Like, do oh, yeah, that's good. Bye bye. If somebody told me, okay, this movie got 400 million minutes, I would say, wow, maybe that's the record. And then if they said this one got 10 billion minutes, I'd say, <laughs> oh, maybe that's the record. And then a week later, somebody says, this movie got 40 million minutes. I'd say, well, maybe that's the record. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. Like the people in the Netflix minds are just be going like, we can only trick them for this long. But if we can get a golden parachute before they realize that they're tricked and we can just leave, then we're good. Well, while we're talking about streaming, what I find more confusing and bizarre than anything is, so I saw this week that... Netflix is losing all of Arrested Development. In- yeah, it's just going away. Including the, the seasons, seasons they produced. Yeah, the seasons they produced, which I think must, I mean, that has to mean that they worked with some company that had a deal. Yeah, like sometimes TV shows are done through like Sony or maybe even Fox. I don't remember right. where Arrested so Development Netflix was. So Netflix put originally. up some money for it, but, yeah. but Sony maybe owns it. But nevertheless, there are other streamers like uh, HBO Max that are just dumping things well, that they Well, you heard own. that like the HBO Max is losing all of the classic Looney Tunes, uh, right? They're dropping off the service. I know. And I don't know. I, I mean, some of the things they're dumping from the service so they don't have to pay royalties on mm. them. But Looney Tunes, I don't understand. Like, do they think that they can sell it to another? St- they can sell it to Tubi for a certain I amount? I think like from what I heard someone say is that they were like, they had a thing where they were leasing it to themselves. So you can put that as a oh loss on accounting books. And maybe that bit them in the ass or something like that. What sucks is that I do feel that some of these things will just go away, that it would be more financially viable for these companies to just not have them be anywhere than have them be on a service and be like tracking a loss. Well, I mean, we already saw with Batgirl that decisions are now being made that it's just more profitable to 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 not release the the movie. (laughs) And that's uh, that's baffling. And all of this, as well as the train derailment, makes me think that uh, America's crumbling. Uh, I have something that will get your hopes up back. Bat. I just said Bat? it. Bat? Yes. And that is a little trailer for a movie called The Flash. Oh. We want Will Sloan's thoughts on okay, it. Okay, well, while we're talking about current movie news, yes, The Flash, the big Super Bowl trailer. Mm-hmm. Well, when we saw Michael Keaton in the Bat suit <laughs> and he went, I'm Batman, I went like this. Yay! <laughs> and then I watched it again, and then I watched it again, and wow. then I watched it again. So, like, they got you. Like, you can look at all of well, this other stuff. Okay. I mean, you watch it three times. That's yeah, three watches. I definitely did. Uh, and actually, it's a complicated reaction because I also have two eyes and I recognize <laughs> it looks awful. Yes. It looks horrible. And I also recognize, uh, you know, I like those Tim Burton Batman movies. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yes, they're corporate products, but also they're idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. You can see Tim Burton's vision all over them and you get none of that in this movie. No. It, but it, you heard the Batman theme when he showed up. So, yes, I, I I'm human. I the way he comes. He's like, hey. I'm Batman. <laughs> Almost as if he can't bring the energy to say the line. He didn't look thrilled about it. <laughs> no. But you know what? Uh, his CGI double was thrilled doing all those stunts and stuff like that. I know. Moving like that bat suit has never moved before. That's so funny because in the 1989 Batman, he can't even crane his head. Yes. Now, the question is, will you be an opening day <laughs> Flash viewer? Probably. <laughs> oh, you will? <laughs> Listen. I get one. <laughs> okay. Okay. A lot of people were so excited for The Force Awakens for, mm-hmm. you know, people, people are- And you were like, oh, Lord of the Rings. You're like, Ugh. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yes, I grew up with Tim Burton, Batman. I get, I get to be interested in this one thing. I can't believe that like 
this will probably be the one nostalgic thing that would get you. I'm trying to think of like what, like short of the three stooges coming back to life. Oh God. I mean, in the last decade, one thing after another has come back that got me excited. Like we got a dumb and dumber too. You remember oh, that? Terrible. Uh, Monty Python reunited. That uh, got, that uh, got me. But they were so old. I know. It's like one thing after another that disappointed me. But then we got that three stooges fairly brother movie. No disappointment there. Hey, they're bringing back faulty towers, which I also, uh, I also oh. loved growing up. Isn't uh, that, that's going to be great. No. Listen, if I was in charge of who made the Three Stooges movie, is that a Fox movie? Uh, the oh, the um, the, yeah. the one with Will Sasso. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, that was Fox, I think. Uh, get him to do shorts again. Put him in front of movies. Oh, I'd be so happy. <laughs> that was the next thing that you need to do to placate Will Sloan. For now, Batman's good enough, though. And you're gonna have to watch it in that two and a half hour movie. And I'll hate surrounded it. Surrounded by stuff you don't like. I'll hate it.